0: Grace 242, my name is Amanda Stockstead and I will be doing our scripture reading for today. Our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Hey Grace 242. Every year on Labor Day, my parents host at their house a corn roast. It's cold. I can tell you all about it. I mean, look at this try My parents host a corn roast on Labor Day with family and friends and this year's corn roast found the men conversing in the garage while the women made their way to the living room to talk. And it was in the garage as we were sitting around tables just chatting that somehow the men got to talking about football injuries, and of course, Joe Theismans injury came up. And that made me say, this makes me think about a Simpsons episode. Let's watch. Ooh, death by knockout, blood on the ice. Ho ho, football's greatest injuries. Homer, could you turn off the TV? There's a little test I want you to take. Ah! Oh, great. You made me miss Joe Dysman. And it was after I described that moment of The Simpsons to them that my friends turned to me and said, of course you would come up with that bill because you're a book of Simpsons references. I am a book of Simpsons references because... The Simpsons are my favorite television show. If you know me, you know that The Simpsons are my favorite. And I think seasons one through ten of The Simpsons are, in my opinion, the best television ever made. So in watching my favorite television show over and over again, I've learned those episodes in seasons one through ten really well. Well enough to remember quotes and references that surface to my mind in real time. But sometimes I think to myself, What if I gave the same intentional energy to learning Jesus in the way that I've given energy to taking in the Simpsons? What if I knew Jesus as well as I knew the Simpsons? What if instead of the Simpsons episodes surfacing to my mind, Simpsons quotes and references surfacing to my mind in real time, what if things Jesus said and things Jesus did and references to Jesus surfaced to my mind in real time? What if I so committed myself to learning Jesus that instead of saying, oh, that reminds me of a Simpsons episode where, instead of saying that, I said, that reminds me of Jesus when He healed the man possessed by a demon. Or what if instead of quoting the Simpsons, I would learn Jesus well enough to say, you know, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What if I so committed myself to learning Jesus that who Jesus is becomes who I am or who I am becomes who Jesus is. We're in this series called Habits of a Disciple, where we're surveying five habits of someone who follows Jesus. Our mission statement at Grace 242 includes the language being disciples of Jesus. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, these are five habits to cultivate in your life. The habits form the acronym BELS. So what does the B stand for? You can just shout it out in your house churches. Disciples of Jesus bless others. What does the E stand for? Disciples of Jesus eat with others. Last week we did the first L, which is Disciples of Jesus listen to the Holy Spirit. And today we look at the second L, which is Disciples of Jesus learn Jesus. Turn with me to our scripture reading today, which comes from Matthew chapter five, verses one and two. Verses 1 and 2 are the beginning to what's become known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount covers Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7, and it's one of the largest repositories of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament, if not the largest one. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and let's read the first sentence. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. Jesus went up to a mountainside, which is why this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now tradition locates this event on the Mount of the Beatitudes in Tabgah, a hill on the shore of the Sea of Galilee near the town of Capernaum. Let's read both sentences together now. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Jesus sits down to teach the crowds, and by sitting in order to teach, Jesus is taking up the traditional teaching position of a rabbi. I recently heard this story of a pastor who would write into the order of worship for the worship team that he would, quote, ascend the pulpit, which I suppose is kind of a weird way of saying the pastor is going to take up a position of authoritative teaching as the pastor, quote, ascends the pulpit. In this case, Jesus does the Jewish equivalent of ascending the pulpit when he sits down to be ready to teach the crowds. Matthew includes these two details for a reason. He tells us that Jesus goes up onto a mountain and that Jesus sits down to teach. And he includes those details very intentionally. He's including them to tune us into something. Matthew is reminding us of Moses. Moses would go up to Mount Sinai to receive instruction from Yahweh. Then Moses would bring the laws that God gave to him on Mount Sinai back to the people. And Matthew here is showing us that Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is going up the mountain and he's teaching us in the sermon to follow what God wants from his people. Just like the people at Mount Sinai received God's law through Moses, the people at the Mount of the Beatitudes received the Sermon on the Mount through Jesus. Jesus had taken up the posture of the rabbi and he's ready to teach the new law, the law of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus's posture. Now look at the disciples posture in the second sentence of Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 2. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Do you see the posture of the disciples? The disciples gather around Jesus ready to receive the teaching of Jesus. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says, What does this mean for us? If Jesus is the new Moses law-giving teacher for the new people of God, then there is one proper response. We are to assume the posture of a student. What does this mean for us? Disciples of Jesus take up the posture of a learner. Disciples of Jesus learn Jesus. I've talked about this before, but the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, and mathetes means learner. A disciple of Jesus is a learner of Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, we come to the feet of our teacher, ready to receive what he has to teach us. As disciples of Jesus, we learn from our teacher, Jesus. Before Morgan and I had kids, Morgan was a teacher of early childhood special ed, and a big part of her school day with her students was circle time, and the kids would sit on the carpet And she, as the teacher, would sit in the chair, ready to do calendar, day of the week, ABC songs, you know, what's the weather like outside sort of a thing, all that stuff that was done at circle time. And Morgan would sit in the chair and the kids would sit on the carpeting. And many of us, if we dig deep enough, have memories of sitting on the carpeting while the teacher taught and went through the weather and the calendar and so forth. This is because the students sit at the feet of the teacher ready to learn. And as disciples of Jesus, we sit at the feet of our teacher, ready to learn. Just by way of example of this, turn with me to Luke chapter 10 and we'll read verse 39. Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and a woman named Martha invites Jesus into her home while Jesus is traveling. And so Jesus goes into the home of of Martha, whose sister is Mary. And look at the posture that the sister Mary has taken up in Luke 10, verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. And so here we see that Mary has taken up the position of a disciple. She's taken up the position of a learner. She's ready to learn from her Savior and Lord. She's ready to learn from her rabbi. She's ready to learn from Jesus. Disciples of Jesus learn Jesus. We take up our position at His feet, ready to learn. Now go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 verses 1 to 2 puts everything in place. Jesus on the mountain in the teaching position, and the disciples and the crowds ready to learn from him. And in this moment, Jesus is the new Moses on a new mountain, ready to give a new law. That law is the Sermon on the Mount, which is almost like a new Ten Commandments. It's a new way for followers of Jesus to live. Now, here's what I want us to notice about this. Is Jesus is about to give a new law. So, if this is a new way to live. However, If we just simply pursue the new way to live, we are going to fail under the burden and the expectations of this new way to live. Simply put, we under our own power can't muster the energy, especially in our sinful state, to live into this new way that Jesus is showing us. We cannot, under our own power, live into this new law that Jesus is laying down for us. No, we first have to learn the lawgiver. If we just go straight to trying to live out the law, we're going to fail. That's too big of a burden. We're too sinful. We're too fallen. No, we first need to learn the lawgiver himself. We first need to learn Jesus himself. So that as we learn Jesus, he makes us like himself. We conform to his image. And it's in our conformity to the image of Jesus that we are transformed into the type of people who live out the law that Jesus is giving us in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's got to be lawgiver first and then law second. We have to learn the lawgiver first before we can follow the law. We have to be conformed to the image of Jesus first before we can expect to live out his law. Just by way of example, let's look at one of these laws that Jesus gives to us. Let's look at Matthew 5, and we'll read 21 to 22. And as Jesus does so often in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to point back initially to the law of Moses, the original Old Testament law, which he does in Matthew 5, verse 21. Let's read that. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. And so Jesus is referencing the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments, which is do not murder. But now look how Jesus is going to recast, re-give this law of Moses. Look at 22. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Do you see what Jesus has done here? He's taken the commandment, do not murder and he's raised the expectations on it. He says, oh, it's not just do not murder, it's if you curse somebody, then you're in danger of the fires of hell. If you harbor resentment or are angry at somebody and harbor that, then you're in danger of judgment. So he's taken do not murder and he's raised the expectations on it. In verse 22, the NLT says, if you call someone an idiot, well, I've called people idiots, And you won't be surprised to hear my confession that I've called people names much worse, even, than the word idiot. And so the question becomes, who can live up to these expectations? Jesus has just raised the expectations dramatically. So, who can live up to this? And the answer is, nobody can live up to these expectations. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, nobody can live up to these expectations. And so the question for us becomes, if Jesus has just raised the expectations, and if nobody can live into those expectations because of our sinfulness, then, well, what do we do? What do we do when we can't live into the expectations, when we can't live out the law that Jesus has given to us? What do we do? And the answer is, we learn the lawgiver. That's what we do when we can't live up to the expectations, when all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we can't live out the law of Jesus because of our sin, what do we do? We learn the lawgiver. Because the lawgiver is the only one who meets and who fulfills those expectations. Look at Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not misunderstand why I have come, Jesus says. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus came to accomplish their purpose because we cannot. And so when we can't live into these lofty expectations, what do we do? We learn the One who can and did. We learn the Lawgiver Himself. We learn Jesus. We learn the Lawgiver, because as we learn the Lawgiver, we become like the Lawgiver. He conforms us to His image. He transforms us into the types of people who live out the Law of Jesus. We learn Jesus And then it's out of our learning Jesus that we live like Jesus. If we just try to go straight to living like Jesus, we're gonna fail every time because in our sinful nature, we cannot keep his expectations. So instead, we go to the one who did meet the expectations. We learn the Lawgiver. We learn Jesus. And in learning Jesus, we become like Jesus. And our behavior is transformed and our lives are transformed into the type of people who live like Jesus. I'll just tell you that this learning of Jesus, this developing a personal relationship with Jesus, is the thing that transformed my faith. For much of my life, my faith was largely dependent around living the law without becoming like Jesus. I grew up in the 90s and church culture, for anyone that went through church in the 90s, knows that lots of church culture was around moralism and being good. For me, I'll just summarize what I believed growing up. It's like, I believe in Jesus and I know that because I believe in Jesus, that gets me to heaven because he died for my sins and rose for my sins. So believing in Jesus gets me to heaven, but it went really no deeper with Jesus than because I believe in Jesus, now Jesus wants me to be good. Right? Because I believe in Jesus, Jesus wants me to be a good person. And so much of my life revolved around just trying to be good and much of the teaching from the church I received was, we got to be good because that's what Jesus expects out of us. That's what God expects out of us. And it's interesting because that message of moralism, that message of being good was everywhere. I mean, Colin has recently been watching a lot of the VeggieTales episodes that I grew up with, and and I loved watching VeggieTales as a kid. I thought they were hilarious. And and I by no means want to try to dissuade you from watching VeggieTales. I mean, you could do a lot worse than VeggieTales. But now that I'm as an adult watching these episodes with Colin, the message over and over again is a moralistic one. The message of VeggieTales ultimately comes down to be good. And that's the message I received as a kid growing up in the church, that I was to be good because that's what Jesus expected of me, or that's what God expected of me. And then around 2013, I enrolled in seminary, and for whatever reason, I began to meet Jesus. I think I was surrounded by people in my life at that time who just started putting Jesus in front of me, who just started to have me focusing in on Jesus. And I fell in love with who Jesus is. I marveled at His beauty, I marveled at His glory, I marveled at His kingship. It was like I was seeing these brilliant, beautiful facets of Jesus that I had never seen before in my life. He became a real human being to me. That's really probably what did it for me, was the incarnation and just this mind-blowing mystery that God, the Son of God, became a man for our sake and He walked this earth, and He taught, and He called His disciples, and He conducted His ministry, and He went to the cross, and He rose again, not just to save us from our sins, that's only one part of it, but He came as part of the Father's plan to redeem all of history, and to redeem all of the cosmos, and to redeem all of the people who He called before the foundations of the world, and that He does so by putting His Son on this earth as a human, that blew my mind and that He remains human as He sits at the right hand of the Father today. Just putting flesh on Jesus is what did it for me. Was like, my Lord and Savior is God and man at the exact same time and someday He's going to come back and someday I'm going to see Him face to face and, and now I'm just going on forever about Jesus because I'm getting revved up thinking about all the things I've learned and fallen in love with in learning my Lord and Savior Jesus. Learning Jesus is what completely transformed my faith. Because before I learned Jesus, I would try to do what he says, and it was totally empty. We were taught, you know, you should be reading your Bible, you should be reading your Bible. And yes, I would read my Bible, And it was exciting insofar as the stories were interesting. I've told you that story about how I read Judges and all the violence was intriguing to me as a kid. And that was all interesting and that kind of got me into the Bible. But aside from the interesting aspect of these stories, I didn't read it as a testament to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I didn't see Jesus in the pages of the Bible. All I saw were interesting stories. And then I knew that you were supposed to pray, but prayer felt like a total burden. It was boring, it was empty, I dreaded these long prayers that I had to sit through and my mind would just wander. And I knew that I was supposed to behave and be good. And really the main motivation was not because God wanted it, because I just got along with my parents better that way when I was being good. It was like there was less fights and less consequences that I incurred when I was being good. And so all these things that you're supposed to do as a Christian, I tried to do, but they were empty. And then I came to know the lawgiver. And when I came to know the lawgiver, I realized that all of the law flows out of the lawgiver. I can't live into the law unless I love and learn the lawgiver. And as I learned Jesus, all of these things were transformed. Bible reading became something I hungered for because I saw my Savior in these pages. I saw the majestic God-man who now reigns at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back someday. And I saw God's plan and I saw why he sent Jesus and I saw why he humbled himself. Right, and gave up his rights, as Philippians 2 says. And then prayer became an opportunity for me to not only speak to my Lord and Savior, but to hear from my Lord and Savior. It's like, I got God on the line here. This is not just a boring time of silence. Like I am opening up a line of communication to the King of the cosmos. And it flows both ways. I can speak to Him, and He can speak to me, and He's given me His Holy Spirit, which is God, and that's exciting, but His Holy Spirit is actually the presence of Jesus living inside of me. All of these things went from empty ritual. And you know what? I don't just do the things he tells me to do because that's what I ought to do. No, I do them because he's transformed me into this type of person now. Because Jesus has worked his identity so far into me that now the things that flow out of me are the types of things that Jesus would have me do. It's lawgiver first, then the law. If we just try to do the law, we will fail every time. We need to learn the lawgiver. We need to love the lawgiver before we can ever hope to do the types of things that Jesus wants us to do. Learning Jesus transformed my faith in the most profound of ways. It went from ritual to relationship. As I just learned the blessing of sitting at the feet of my rabbi, sitting at the feet of my Lord and Savior, and as I sat in His presence, He transforms me into the person He wants me to be. And as He conforms me into His own image, it's then that the types of things God would want to see out of me, the types of ways of living He would want to see out of me, just naturally flow out because He's making me into the person that He wants me to be as I sit at His feet ready to learn Him. I was thinking about what would be the thing that I would want Grace 242 to do coming out of this sermon. And I thought, well, I could tell them to read the Bible more, I could tell them to read Gospels, I could tell them to pay attention to the words of Jesus, I could tell them to memorize what he says, or I could tell them to, you know, journal or any number of practical steps and all those things are good steps, but in many ways, just saying those things is going right back to the law again. It's putting the law before the lawgiver. And so, i got to think of something where we go straight to the lawgiver. And so, my practical step for us this week is to ask Jesus to show you His glory. For me, what did it, what changed my faith from ritual to relationship, was beholding the glory of Christ. One of my favorite verses is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, "...the sun radiates God's own glory." and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. The sun radiates God's glory. I would want you this week to ask Jesus to show you His glory, to show you His radiance, that you could catch a glimpse of the beauty of the Father that the Son shows us. Jeremy Lesage, last week, showed us that it was an ask of God that really set him on a path to hearing and listening to the Holy Spirit. He said he asked the Holy Spirit to turn up the volume. And so it was a work of the Lord that changed Jeremy. And in many ways, learning Jesus needs to begin as a work of the Lord. And so what can we do is we can ask God to do that work in us. We can ask Jesus to show us his glory. We can ask Jesus to clear space for us at his feet so we can begin to learn him. We can ask Jesus to show us how beautiful and how marvelous and majestic and glorious he is. We can ask Jesus to fall in love with him more. So, my practical step this week is a prayer. In the same way that we talked about asking the Holy Spirit to turn up the volume, I have written a prayer for us. And I would like you to pray this prayer along with me in your house churches. So I would like you to say this prayer out loud, to pray this prayer out loud. The words will be on the screen, but this is a prayer asking the Lord to do this work in us, to set our feet upon a path of learning Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, your word tells us that you are the visible image of the invisible God. Show us your beauty, show us your glory, Give us a glimpse of the radiance of the Father. And once our eyes have seen your glory, may we never be the same. Give us a thirst to know you that can never be quenched. Give us a fire to learn you that can never be put out. Jesus, create space for me at your feet to learn you, to love you, to know you. Jesus, your word says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Jesus, I want to know you. Amen. I'll see you next time, Grace 242.